Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Force inside. Jokic, Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, and this is a Denver Nuggets podcast getting into the ins and outs of the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, things in the NBA have been um, unprecedented recently with a strike, not a boycott, by the way, a wildcat strike is technically what this is with the players not boycotting the NBA, but the players are going on strike to bring attention to the racial injustices going on in this country. So that is what has been going on. Basketball has resumed today. It is currently Saturday, about 4.15 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So as of right now, basketball is back. People are playing, but there was a lot to get to this point. So this podcast is going to, one, outline everything that went in with this strike, what the players wanted to get accomplished because of the strike, how it came to be, which teams followed suit, how it jumped sports. We'll talk briefly about that at the start of the first segment after this intro. And then I want to get into the Denver Nuggets interviews they did today with the media. It was the first time they have spoken since the strike took place. So we had not had a chance to gauge where these players were at mentally, what was going on, what their thought processes were about everything that was happening, who the representatives were, how Michael Malone felt. So today, Michael Malone spoke to the media as usual, and Monte Morris as well as Jamal Murray also spoke. They were phenomenal in their interviews as usual, and they had a lot of interesting points. So I'm going to get into that. That as well as the boyc- or the strike itself on the very first segment after this intro. And then we're going to talk quickly about Game 6 and give a little preview um, for the Nuggets side of things. What went well for the Nuggets in Game 5 and a little bit in Game 4. As well as what the Nuggets still need to address going into Game 6. So this is going to be a jam-packed show. There is a ton of shit to talk about. There is a lot to break down. And a whole lot of heaviness, if I'm going to be honest, in that first segment coming up here on the other side of the show. So I just wanted to be honest about that. It's not going to be the happiest show in the world, but that's important. We need to be able to discuss a lot of these things because it's not on the players, as Jamal Murray said today, to carry this burden, to teach, to inform each other, to learn. There is a. It takes everybody coming together and growing for us really to be able to address all of these issues that have plagued the United States of America for as long as it, as it, is, it, as it has existed in this form. So a ton of stuff, ton of, ton of, ton of stuff we're going to get into in this one. So we're going to do that. Um, also, I want to sh- quickly shout out Deal Dash, Ben Online, NFL Sunday, Ticket.tv, as well as Greg Olson Show Tight End One, which is brought to you by Chevy Silverado. 
There is so much cool stuff going on at the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It is constantly growing, and to see all of these things playing out in the way they have in terms of the growth of the company has been phenomenal. So please support the sponsors of this show. You're about to hear about Deal Dash. You have already heard about Greg Olson's show, Tight End One. You're going to hear about Bet Online after the first segment, and you're going to hear about NFL Sunday Ticket.tv on the way out of this show. So there is a ton of stuff that you can gain from listening to this podcast. So make Make sure you listen for those advertisement codes to be able to go get some free stuff. And we're going to take our first break so I can tell you about that. So we're going to talk about DoorDash real quick, and then I will come back in on the other end to discuss this strike and the Nuggets view of it. You've been counting on restaurants your entire life, especially if you're like me and you just happen to love food. Now, those same restaurants are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. Choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle and Wendy's and the Cheesecake Factory, as well as many of your favorite local restaurants who are also on DoorDash for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and boom, your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and any Blue Wire podcast can get $5 off and zero delivery fees for their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter promo code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, and now it's time to get into everything that happened with this wildcat strike that happened by, with the, by the players, which again was not a boycott, it is a wildcat strike by definition, um, and how really this strike came to be. So obviously when, when you see Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back in front of his three children for just walking away from officers, when you watch that video of him being paralyzed, like that by those officers and then hearing about him being cuffed to his hospital bed despite already being paralyzed because of the actions of these police officers it's impossible not to understand why people are so angry and why this impacts a predominantly black league like the NBA so dramatically and really what this was was it was the straw that broke the camel's back as Monte Morris says they know that this is not going to be the last black person Person shot by police, and that is a sobering and terrifying thought. So because of that, you started having conversations where it started with the Raptors and Celtics talking about potentially um, what was then described as a boycott of the games. The boycott would essentially mean that the NBA is boycotting the NBA. They're trying to boycott against what the NBA is doing. That is not the case. They are asking for more resources and more help for this fight against racial injustice. So this is a strike against racial injustice and police brutality, not a boycott, a boycott against the NBA. So, 
after they started talking about it, there wasn't necessarily necessarily clarity on when this uh, or if they were going to end up having this strike. Then instead, all of a sudden, the Bucks, who had not been mentioned as a team who could potentially strike, they didn't come out of the locker room. The Orlando Magic come out to the locker room. The Bucks refused to. The Bucks then it comes out that the Bucks are staging a strike. That was what it came out to be. The Orlando Magic did not know. The rest of the NBA did not know because the Bucks decided during their pregame. Like there were already Bucks players who were on the court who had warmed up a little bit, from what I understand, way pregame, because people warm up hours before the game. So that was made, and it sounds like George Hill was a big proponent of this idea of striking against a game and not playing in this game five. So they go from there, they don't play, and they stay in the locker room. They then attempt to get the Attorney General of Wisconsin on the phone. And this, in my opinion, is where things truly are incredible, because they manage to get the Attorney General on the, on, on the line, just from sitting out the game. And you see the impact that professional athletes can have on this world when they're able to do that. And now, because of the conversation they were able to have with the Attorney General on the phone, Suddenly, the Wisconsin Senate and everybody in the government is back to work. They were not go. They were not at work. They were on a hiatus per se, um, due to COVID and other things. And they are now back to work addressing these issues that are plaguing their, you know, their community. Who knows if these bills that eventually get outlined or passed or voted down actually end up helping? But at least the government is back to work, and there is no denying the fact that it was the Bucks that were able to do that. They would not. This would not have happened if not for the Bucks. Then, let's look at this in a bigger picture now, because it wasn't just the Bucks. Then, the Rockets and Thunder choose to postpone their game following um, following up after the Magic and Bucks. Then, the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers postpone their game. Not only that, the WNBA, the, specifically the Atlanta Dream, they show up to, their, to, to the facility getting ready to play with each wearing a shirt with one letter of Jacob Blake's name on it. On the back of the shirt are seven bullet holes, some with uh, fake blood around it, to show the seven bullets that Jacob Blake took in the back from the Kenosha Police Department. And then the Atlanta Dream proceeded to not play in their game either in a strike as well. It didn't even stop there. Then you had the Milwaukee Brewers and the um, Cincinnati Reds choosing to not play their game, in addition to the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Additionally, on top of that, you had Naomi Osaka of the Women's Tennis Association choosing to sit out of a tournament as well in solidarity with the NBA players who were standing up to racial injustices. Then you had the NFL teams, who aren't even in their season yet, choosing to sit out of practice in practice protest and in solidarity with these players as well um so to watch the way that this grew to see that kind of momentum shift it shows just the how much power these players really have that they wield and it was really incredible to see just what they were able to do i mean these are not politicians these are not lifetime activists these are athletes who spent their whole lives playing basketball or other sports finding ways to make a difference and to see it jump from not just the nba but the wnba and then tennis and then football and then baseball 
you can just see the realization for so many of this kind of power that these players really wield to make true change. So it was really, really, really incredible to see. But what were the players trying to accomplish? What was the goal? So now that the strike has ended, the players have agreed to go back to the postseason. Currently, it's Saturday at 4.30 p.m. That means that the Bucks have already clinched their playoff win over the Orlando Magic and will move on to the second round. So the playoffs are back. So what, what, what was the agreement? What was the compromise that existed? So the NBA Players Association and the, and the NBA, the league itself, along with its governors, with its players, released a full statement with three things that they outlined that I am going to read verbatim in their entire in their entirety so you know um, exactly what is trying to be conveyed. So number one, the NBA and its players have agreed to immediately establish a social justice coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors that will be focused on a broad range of issues, including access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and criminal justice reform. That, I know that seems vague on the surface. It's just this coalition that does a lot of things. But when we spoke to Monte Morris today, who was one of the Nuggets' representatives when it came to discussing a lot of these terms, he outlined the fact that this is kind of a resource for players and other people to utilize to be able to make an impact in their communities, whether it's politically overall or just to get people voting, whatever it may be. It's a resource to help people to accomplish the change that they want to see. Additionally, like Monte Morris just absolutely you know harrowingly said today um, there is likely going to be another black or brown person murdered or shot by the police and in, in the future this coalition will have um at least an understanding of how to address those issues as as they present themselves to give the the NBA as a whole, more of a unified front, it seems like. So we'll get more into this coalition when I talk about Monte Morris here coming up in a little bit, but let's move on to the second thing now, which in my opinion is the biggest one. Here it is. In every city where a where the league franchise owns and controls the arena property, team governors will continue to work with local elections officials to convert the facility into a voting location for the 2020 general election to allow for a safe in-person voting option for communities vulnerable to COVID. If a deadline has passed, team governors will work with local elections officials to find another election-related use for the facility, including including but not limited to cover registration and ballot receiving boards. This, I hope, goes far beyond just this election into all elections going forward. The NBA uniquely has this. They have their ability to have people vote using their facilities because it's such a big facility. They can really allow access to voting in such a more, you know, in, a, in an easier, more accessible way. And I really hope we see this happen every election going down the line, local and federal, because this will be huge for people. So that's awesome to see that these facilities are going to be used for something bigger than basketball, for voting, for the future of this country and all of the people living within it. The third thing is the league will work with players and our network of partners to create and include advertising spots in each NBA playoff game dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement in national and local elections and raising awareness around voter access and opportunity. That's also awesome to see that they're actually putting aside their money because they make money off of those advertising spots to 
bring greater awareness to voting, that's huge. That is awesome to see overall. So how did the Nuggets react to this? Now that we finally got to speak to the Nuggets for the first time since this strike happened, it's now been... Wow, it's only been three days, but it feels like it's been three months. Um, The Nuggets ended up having Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, and Michael Malone speak today. It went in the order of Monte Morris went first, Michael Malone followed, and then Jamal Murray went last. So I'm going to go in that order. I want to talk about each of them individually, what they were asked about, what they discussed, and what were some big takeaways to kind of have. Monte Morris revealed pretty much off the bat that he was one of the Nuggets representatives. He was the one that was there with LeBron James and Chris Paul and working to find solutions to create the actionable change that the Nuggets wanted to see and the rest of the NBA. So Monte Morris had a very interesting perspective of what was going on. He said the big thing was voting. They wanted to make sure not just everybody had better access, but that the players led the way and that they got players registered to vote. According to what Monte Morris said, Less than 20% of the league voted last year, and Morris is trying to help address that exact issue. In addition to that, he also talked about the Justice Coalition, like I was saying. And the way he kind of described it was, if a player wants to create change, this place exists to give resources and to connect people to different charitable donations or whatever it may be it's there to connect people with the resources they may need to create that change in addition if there happens to be god forbid another police killing of another black or brown man and they need to find a way to come together as a group as the nba governors coaches front office members and players then again this justice coalition can help lead that charge of unification against this you know bigger broader issue of systemic racism and police brutality that has plagued this nation for as long as it has as long as it has existed so between those two things it was awesome to see monte morris not only involved in creating it but also being able to describe it to people for what they're actually going to be able to do with it Monte was then asked about his thoughts about the season potentially not restarting before they voted to, and he said that they expected the worst and that they knew that they needed to do something um, essentially drastic to make the world a better place. But what was really interesting was that Monte said he thought that he brought the whole NBA closer, the way that that pause, the way that that um, strike existed brought everybody closer because the NBA was forced to have those tough conversations, to be in the same room, to figure these things out together, and they were able to do so so that is encouraging then you move on to how does he shift gears to back to basketball now the nuggets are gonna have to play a game tomorrow night on sunday against the utah jazz who have really taken it to them down three two in the series trying to stay alive that adjustment is just so difficult and he actually spoke about how um, how tough and emotional the practice was on Friday. So yesterday, today, um, two days before the Nuggets took are, are going to take on the Jazz for Game 6 and just how overwhelming it was. Um, practice of today on Saturday was apparently much better. The team knows it's winner go home, but the understanding that it's to shift gears, to move from I'm going to find a way to save black and brown lives from the police who continually keep attacking them to basketball, a game, but also my career, my legacy, the amount of burden that they're shouldering, it's just not fair that players have to even shift gears like this. They should have a government that takes care of it for them and doesn't leave them just desperately trying to create their own change in the world as opposed to just, you know, hopefully having a governmental entity and a democracy that has the 
thoughts of humans at the forefront of their mind and how to make the world better for everybody. That clearly doesn't exist and it's unfortunately fallen on the players. So asking them to shift and asking them to just somehow get back to basketball, it's just not fair. Like Monte looked exhausted. Like he looked deflated. He looked like he could sleep for three days. And he, some of the things he said followed that up. He talked about how, and this is a quote, this is not going to be the last shooting and we know that he spoke about and this is another quote um how tough it is knowing that his mom and niece are, and family are back in flint michigan at risk of being shot just like jacob blake like it's it's so overwhelming to hear it and we need, all need to hear it and understand that these people are terrified for their lives black people just for existing just for being black and that is completely and utterly wrong and if you can't get on the same page as that then you are just part of the problem and that is the end of the statement when it comes to that so i really really it's it's just really sad that NBA players in their third and fourth years are having to shoulder the responsibility that all of these failed politicians refuse to do so in Washington and that's really where the nuggets are at and it's really, it's where Monte was at um, moving on to Michael Malone, he also spoke about the emotional time that the Nuggets have had recently. Um, he spoke about being away from their families for now 54 days. That's almost two months not seeing your family at all all and just being in this bubble just trying to focus on basketball while the world is burning down around them then seeing the video of jacob blake being shot seven times in the back paralyzing him in front of his three children this just brings back more reminders of breonna taylor getting shot in her own apartment for no reason and george floyd having a knee in his neck for eight minutes and all of these other black and brown lives that are being taken over and over again and then now you have to carry the weight of the city of denver on your back and go come back from a 3-1 series deficit as if basketball even matters uh, malone spoke about the same practice that monte spoke about that on friday it was the worst practice he has ever seen being in denver and that he also understood it because the players have such a burden to carry because they are so relied upon on and off the court to be the shining beacons of hope for everybody because again, they, so many people have been neglected and attacked by this government as opposed to just helping everybody. So to hear Malone talk about his guys in that way and how it just isn't fair that they have to shoulder all of this, it's just... It was a lot, and you could tell that Malone was torn up about it. Um, one interesting thing Malone said, which I found very, very um, fascinating, was just that this wasn't just a player-driven movement. Michael Malone said, I think this is a people-driven movement. Here's a couple other quotes he said. It can't just be one group. It has to be all of us in the NBA family. He followed that quote by saying, what is remarkable that we are doing down here is that from the coaching staff to the players, owners, and to the front office, we are all truly invested in doing whatever we can to bring about the change that we have talked so much about. One last quote from him, no one thought that being in the Magic Kingdom and Matt... 
would magically fix everything to get better because we decided to play. This is going to require a sustained fight and a sustained effort, and we all have to commit to this for the long haul. He made it clear that this was everybody involved, and I don't think this was to take any credit away from the players because the Bucks players, let's be very honest, the players led this charge. That does not mean it's only players involved, though. I think that was Malone's point, was that, Everybody's behind the players. No one is against the players in the NBA. Everybody is taking full support of these players and doing everything they can to support them and what they're trying to do. And that, I thought, was um, it was a good point. It was interesting the way he went about it, but it's true. To see this unification of the NBA to try and make an impact has been really encouraging. We'll have to see if that's able to play out long term and if they can really make a uh, an impact on this country for the better. And Michael Malone, lastly, he talked about balancing priorities. And this might have been the moment when you realize that Michael Malone is just at a loss. He doesn't know how to go about this. Chris Dempsey, um, he tried to ask this question. And again, like this is not an indictment on Dempsey. I have no idea how to ask a question like this. But basically, how do you prioritize either social justice or winning this basketball game when you are a basketball coach and you are facing elimination and it is tomorrow night and Michael Malone essentially didn't have an answer like he I I have very rarely seen Michael Malone without the words to say or without the cleverness to be able to find something that was at least meaningful to add to the conversation Malone was he just looked lost in a way that I have rarely seen from him part of him clearly wants to win at all costs and part of him knows that basketball really doesn't matter right now Um, Malone made it clear he was like even though all teams voted to keep playing that does not mean that the players within each team were also on the same page about a about keep about, about continuing to play. He said he uh, imagined many of the votes went 8 7 or 9 6 as opposed to 15 0. Everyone wants to keep playing. Malone also said it's hard to go into an elimination game when some guys are one foot out the door and one foot in. It just isn't fair that the players have to carry this burden. And that was really, again, the message that Michael Malone sent. And that was the conclusion of Michael Malone's interview. There wasn't a whole lot of positivity, but kind of just was what it was. Uh, lastly for this press conference was Jamal Murray. And he began the press conference, instead uh, instead of sitting down and answering questions, he set a pair of his Adidas's on the chair that he was going to interview in. One shoe had Priona Taylor on it, one shoe had George Floyd on it. He then let it sit there for about two minutes, while the media just stared at the shoes and had to reflect on what was happening in this world and, and what happened in the lives of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, of Jacob Blake. Murray then sits down and has his has his interview, and <laughs> he wanted it to be clear that the reason he put those shoes there was to make us reflect. Here's the quote that he said. One person on those shoes had a knee on their neck for eight minutes. It doesn't take me, a 23-year-old, to recognize that is not right. That should be in everybody's mind. If you don't see it that way, there is a problem with you. He's a thousand percent correct, and it was cool for it was um props to him for forcing this conversation on people and making them hear this. And he went on and continually just had these amazing quotes. Um, he 
Murray spoke about not removing himself from this moment in American history. He said Black Lives Matter is freedom. He said that that is why he chose to put freedom on his jersey um, because he thought that those two went one and the same, that black people deserve the same freedom that white Americans have every single day. He also said my skin color should not determine if I live or die. I encourage everybody to listen to this Jamal Murray interview. It was so important. And he was so mature and so poised. You could tell there was frustration and anger and passion behind his words. But he also seemed like he understood the moment. And it was it was just so sad that he had to be there in that way. But for him to champion this issue and to carry it in the way he has has been so impressive. And then... He started talking about how the pause of the playoffs was needed, and this was also fascinating. He said it was needed mentally for these players who have been away from their families, who have been watching these videos, who just needed to get back to um, themselves. Like Paul George spoke about all of the issues he's had with mental health, and a lot of that was what Jamal Murray was speaking about. He also spoke about the pause being needed to figure out how to make change. He said that none of these players are politicians. They're not lifelong activists. They haven't written bills. They don't have connections in politics so they needed to figure out what they can do how to do it and that takes time he spoke about how the players are not asking to help they're just taking it they're putting it upon themselves to do what they can to help this world but he also said that they need to get everyone involved that it has to be everybody coming together to make this change it was truly impressive seeing Jamal Murray talking the way he did and it was also equally just absolutely gut-wrenching because it's not fair that he has to talk like this we're going to take our second break I'm going to come on the other end we're going to talk briefly about Nuggets versus Jazz game six some things I think can work some things I think the Nuggets will still have issues with and we'll close it out from there so stick around Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are finally coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get NFL Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so you never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use your promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off of your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. That is promo code BLUEWIRE in all capital letters. Welcome back in. And before we finish this up, uh, we got to talk quickly about Nuggets versus Jazz Game 6 and what could work out, what might not work out, what the Nuggets still need to worry about, and so on and so forth. So I got 10 things that I just want to quickly hit on before getting out of here because I just don't feel like it's right to really hammer basketball right now until basketball is here. So we're just going to talk about this quickly and then we're going to move on and I will have more discussions after Game 6. So what can the Nuggets do again that worked? In my opinion... One of the biggest things, and they kind of go hand-in-hand with each other for the first two, but number one is P.J. Dozier needs to keep playing. P.J. Dozier as a perimeter defender get the Nuggets such a better look. 
when they closed the game with him, it was some of the best defense Nuggets have played in the postseason thus far. So P.J. Dozier, I think, should be, should be getting all of Torrey Craig's minutes because while he defends at a similar level, he can also handle the ball and be a guy that can get the ball reversed to him on offense, create a little bit of offense with the pick and roll, and create for others or himself. So P.J. Dozier, in my opinion, needs to play like 18 to 24 minutes in, in, in the next game. Additionally, what worked well, playing two ball-handling guards. For so long, the Nuggets were just playing two-man game with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray until the sun died, but having Monte Morris in the starting unit has allowed Jamal Murray to have a release valve that can then create his own offense. And again, that has done so much to diversify this Nuggets offensive attack, and that is about as encouraging as it gets to see where this Nuggets team could end up and how they can find a way to fix this disastrous unit they have been at different times. So, that was good to see that the Nuggets have found something offensively that clicks. In addition to that, they were just more urgent and they had more assertiveness in Game 5. They fought, they battled, they refused to quit. There was passion in everything they did. Nikola Jokic was all over the place. Jamal Murray was everywhere. You had people diving for loose balls. It was great to see the understanding of the stage that they were on and the fact that the Nuggets were able to go all out in that way. Denver also got great games from both Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray especially, man. Jamal Murray, I mean, it's easy to forget because the past, you know, three days have felt like a month, but Jamal Murray has like 92 points, 15 assists, and zero turnovers in his last two games combined. So Jamal Murray is playing at the best level he has ever played basketball at, and Nikola Jokic is figuring out exactly what he needs to do to help the Nuggets win as well, and Michael Porter Jr. is finally finding his groove. He's no longer as timid. He's no longer um, trying to think everything through and find his spots, and he's kind of found his ability to kind of get within the flow of the offense. So those are the five things that I think the Nuggets have found that work, that can actually make an impact on Game 6, and if there is going to be one, a Game 7. P.J. Dozier is a perimeter defender, playing two ball-handling guards, um, improving the assertiveness and urgency across the board, Jokic and Murray playing like the stars that they are, and Michael Porter Jr. finding the groove. Next, let's move on to where the Nuggets still are going to have issues, and it starts with Donovan Mitchell. Denver has no answer. They drop Donovan Mitchell's hitting threes off the off the off the bounce. Like it's just nothing they can do about that. They hedge out. He is making incredible passes to the open teammate. If Denver just tries to fight over the screen, the screen, he's screaming downhill at Nikola Jokic, who was in a drop. If they switch, he's able to just destroy whatever guy he ends up switched onto. So the Nuggets don't have a, a Donovan Mitchell answer, and they're not gonna have a Donovan Mitchell answer. The other thing is Nikola Jokic's defense, particularly against the Jazz, which, as Matt Moore actually made this point, which was a great one, they're much more built like the Rockets when they had Clint Capella than any other version of the Jazz have had before, and that has made Nikola Jokic's defense a disaster. He can't defend the lob, and he can't play far enough up the court to disrupt Donovan Mitchell, so Jokic has been stuck in no man's land. He needs to give more effort and energy on that end of the floor, but really, there's not a whole lot that Nikola Jokic can do in this one. Two players for the next two things that are just not helping. Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap are just not helping. And it kills me to say this because I love both of these guys. I think they're really important players for a lot of teams, but Torrey Craig has not been a good enough defender to justify the lack of offensive ability. Having Monte Morris in there instead of Torrey Craig has allowed the Nuggets offense to work so much better. And when it comes to Paul Millsap, if 
he's not able to score regularly enough. His three-point shot has not fallen regularly enough or with enough volume, and he has not been able to defend at a high level. So a lot like Torrey Craig, there just hasn't really been a role for him. And the last thing that I think is just going to continue is if the Jazz see Michael Porter Jr. on the floor, they're attacking Michael Porter Jr. when he's on defense. It doesn't matter who it is. Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, they're going at Michael Porter Jr. And as a rookie in his first playoff series, I don't really know what the kid can do. It's just going to take a lot of... He's going to get beat a lot, and he's going to have to score to be able to make up for it. I don't know if he'll be able to at a big enough level, but... We'll see. That's going to be a big, 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 big question. But thank you guys so much for sticking around, for listening to this show, for allowing me to discuss a lot of these issues that don't have anything to do with basketball and have everything to do with the world around us and all of these racial issues and police brutality that are leading to so many black and brown lives being lost for no reason or paralyzed in the Jacob Blake sense. So... Thank you for allowing me to do that. I'm very happy to have to be able to have these conversations. If anybody wants to have a conversation, you are more than welcome to DM me. I'm always around to have these discussions because I think they're really, 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 really important. So the Nuggets will play Sunday night, I believe 6.30 Mountain Time um, against the Utah Jazz. If they lose, the playoffs are over for Denver. If they win, they will force a game seven and then anything can happen. Please share this podcast all over social media. Please leave a five-star review. Please leave comments and reviews. All of those things help so much, and I really appreciate everybody who has stuck around through all of this chaos that has existed. I am TJ McBride, your host of this Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I want to thank Deal Dash, Bet Online, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, and Greg Olson Show T- uh, Tight End One, which is sponsored by Chevrolet. It's just really, really cool to see all the things that we're able to do and how much fans and listeners of this show have been able to help it grow. So thank you again. Please stay safe, wear your masks, and we'll talk to you guys later. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to uh, to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all of the odds, the futures, and props to bet on, and they're all available 24/7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion. Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. Also, remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE when to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, spelled B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.